Welcome to the fourth episode of the Trail Mix Podcast. Tonight, my guest is Caitlin Keenahan. Caitlin is in her junior year at ASU studying journalism with a minor in political science. And tonight, I'm putting her political knowledge to the test in a wide-ranging conversation about the upcoming 2020 presidential election. As one of the most pivotal nights in American history fast approaches, Caitlin and I are breaking down the way each candidate can win and lose this election. A jam-packed episode coming up on this edition of the Trail Mix Podcast. First question, most important question. This is the biggest presidential election of our lives. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. So now that we're into the final home stretch of this Biden versus Trump campaign, you've been following it probably the entire way. Where do you kind of see these last few weeks playing out? It's been very interesting. Um, My big thing is that I've been watching their sequence of events very closely and how they attack, kind of like attack their own campaigns. Um, It's been interesting because to see an incumbent president be in a situation that he's in where there's been so much chaos right towards the end of his term, that's not really something that we've seen to this degree before, right? We've got coronavirus going on. We have racial unrest across the nation. Um, There are so many things that are kind of plaguing his campaign in a way um, and making it very hard for him to be seen in a positive light by many people. Um, But at the same time, we also have Biden, who he was the VP, but the VP isn't a very you're not really in the spotlight in that position. There's a lot of people that don't know exactly what he stands for. They just know that he is kind of had worked with Obama and at the start of his campaign, that's really what he was going off of was, I wanna carry on Obama's legacy. And now I think he's kind of challenged in filling his own shoes. You know what I mean? He's put himself in the position where like now people are expecting him to be like Obama. And now he's trying to kind of paint a new picture for himself of who he is as a candidate and what he is going to do himself. Um, so that's been really interesting to, to see. And I do think that Biden's done some good work in terms of playing into Trump's weaknesses, obviously coronavirus and how that pandemic um, was handled and is still being handled is something that is playing into Biden's strength just because he's able to point out what Trump's done wrong or the secrets that he's held from everyone um, and stuff like that. Um, But you also have to keep in mind that Trump is a really, really skilled candidate. He has a mind for these campaigns, a mind for understanding how media works, how people perceive what he says on television. And he uses that to his advantage as well. And I think that that's something that we can't underestimate. You know, he always talks about his silent majority of voters. And I do believe that those people are out there. Um, They aren't the people that are voting in these pre-election polls. These are people that, you know, are kind of on the outskirts of the thing that when it comes down to it, they're going to get to the ballot and they'll vote for Trump. And so I did, I wrote down the numbers that they were pulling this morning Um, It looked like Biden was pulling at 51.4% of support and Trump was pulling at 42.2. So obviously that's a very big difference between the two candidates. That's a huge (laughs) divide there. You know what I mean? Um, But you can't underestimate that those silent voters that won't admit that they're voting for Trump or um, aren't kind of out with that vote that they plan to make um, until they really get to the poll booth um, or they send it in on their absentee ballot you know what I mean so I don't know it's been very interesting and I'm excited to see how it plays out there there's so many ways to go from that response and and we're going to get into all of it but I think what I want to ask is how much do we even care about polling in 2020 because if we learned anything from the previous election cycle if we really paid attention to the polls it's Hillary in a landslide And then the night really gets turned on its head. And I think the biggest takeaway that we come away from that night with is, wow, there were a, so many polls that were just 
crap. They, they didn't make any sense. They were, they weren't representative of the population at all. And, and number two, there are so many Trump supporters that don't participate in these standardized polls yes. that are going to vote for him. So I guess I want to ask, do you think that those supporters still exist for Trump four years later? Absolutely. Um, it's hard, right? Because there are certain people that I've talked to even that have said that they're vote has totally changed and now they're going to the other party for the first time in their life. But there's also people that really back Trump and there's people that have even switched over to the Republican party because of him. He's so not representative of the Republican party. He's unlike any Republican candidate that we have seen before. I think it's very safe to say that he's redefined what this party looks like um, and for that reason, he's been able to like garner more support through that um in contrast biden is very it was a very safe choice for the democratic party very safe um and on polling i think something that's really important to mention is that when people are looking at polls you really need to look at where that poll is coming from because for example if you take a poll from cnn that is going to be from cnn viewers or people that engage with cnn so that means that the majority of people that are voting in that poll will lean to the left. On the same point, if you're taking a Fox News poll, the majority of Fox News viewers are Republicans. So you will have more Republican people showing higher numbers in that poll. So that's why when you compare different polls from different media outlets, you'll see different numbers. Um, so I think it's important to try and remember to take it from like Pew Research Center or anything like that, that has more unbiased viewers visiting their page. But also keep in mind that still people that are going to that page are people that are interested in politics and showing what their view is on politics. So not everyone that's gonna be voting in the election is participating in these polls. And I think that's important to note when talking about polling and how accurate that really is. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because you have to understand that not everyone is on the Pew Research website every day. Um, like we are on Instagram. Have you ever taken a presidential poll? Are you out there? Are you a representative in a number? No, I'm not. I don't we, put my views online. <laughs> exactly. See, the thing is, neither am I, but both of us are going to vote in the election. So I kind of wonder, is there almost a silent majority of young people that don't participate in these television-based, male-based, um, and that male is an M-A-I-L, that are between the ages of, you know, 18 to 30, that, you know, I don't really see necessarily a lot of polls on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, and that's ultimately where I spend most of my time. So is there almost a youth silent majority in, in the same sense that there was a Rust Belt silent majority for Trump. Do you think that exists? It's hard to say because I will admit, okay, so first of all, it's very cool because this is one of the first elections where Gen Z and millennials make up almost 35% of voters. If everyone were to vote in those eight groups, it would be 35% of the vote, which is crazy cool. Or it might be like 38, but I think it's around 35 in that region. Um, which is crazy, the amount of power that young people have to really make a difference um, in this election. Um, do I think, you know, I think that young people are just as divided as older people. You know what I mean? We go to Arizona State University, which I think it would be safe to say that that's a pretty liberal school. Um, but there are other schools, if you look at other places, that don't necessarily hold the same views as, you know, our school holds. Um, there's people that aren't in college. You have to factor in all the different age groups and all the different places that people are because depending on region, depending on religion, depending on a bunch of different factors, their vote is going to be one way or the other. Um, and also keep in mind that, especially for Gen Zs, um, a lot of people are still very dependent on their, their parents and what their parents think. So that's something that you also have to factor in is that um, you might still get a lot of the viewpoints that parents held or, you know, 
vice versa. If you're in college, maybe it'll be the opinions of your professors or the material that you're learning that impacts your vote. So there's a lot of different factors, but no, I don't know if it, I, I would, I would say that younger people are probably more liberal now, um, but that's always true for younger generations. I know that's always been a factor, um, but I don't know. There are a, long, a lot of young people that I know as well that are planning to vote for Trump. So we're not, I'm not really sure on that one. Yeah, ultimately I think that you have college campuses, typically in urban areas, typically urban areas vote blue. The further outside of college campuses you get, the more rural it gets, the more red it gets. If I'm going off of that logic, then ultimately I would imagine that there are going to be a lot of votes counted on these college campuses for Biden. And that has to be something that they're counting on, right? You know what? Yes, I, I do think that that's very true. But one thing that I have noticed about Biden's campaign is, like I said, he's spent a lot of time. I mean, if you really watch his ads and you follow his campaign, he's not talking about the issues as much as he is trying to make a name for himself and make himself known in the political sphere, right? We hear Trump every day. I mean, I don't care if it's on social media, if you have the TV on, if you accidentally turn the radio on in your car or, you know, whatever, you'll hear the name Trump. But Biden isn't mentioned quite as regularly. Even if you're reading news articles, you, the first paragraph, even if it's talking about Biden and Trump, First paragraph is always about Trump. Second or third paragraph is about Biden. That's just typically how it's stacked. So do I think that Biden is trying to appeal? You know, I'm not really sure just because I don't even know if he has had a grasp on who his voting block is going to be. I mean, I know he spent a lot of time working with minorities um, and trying to get that, those votes. Um, but it's hard because he spent so much time try, just trying to get his name in the spotlight and really like prove who he is as a politician and as a person um, that it's hard to kind of figure out what exactly is he running on besides COVID. <laughs> right. And, and that's such a good point because for Biden, this is um, for people that don't know, this is the third time that Joe Biden has run for president. And the first one ended in essentially a, a great ball of fire amidst plagiarism accusations the second one he simply just lost to barack obama and so now the third time it seems like the strategy is completely changed but it's an interesting point that you bring up because when i look at biden i don't see a single strategy besides this is the president we have now if you don't like it then vote for me but there doesn't seem to be a, a single message that he's going behind it and ultimately Caitlin, I think that's something that Trump did well in 2016 is he had his four talking points and he rammed them through every single rally. It was the, he was playing the hits. I mean, he was like an eighties rock band coming out and playing exactly <laughs> what our parents wanted that night. Yeah. You know? And you know what that, the, the truth about it is, is that voters have so much on their minds, right? Not everyone is like, me where they just spent all their time like watching the campaigns and like watching all that stuff on tv and and reading articles right like people have lives not to say that i don't have life <laughs> that's not like a total loser but like not everyone spends all their time on that so if you hear a candidate reiterate something over and over again in your subconscious mind when you go to the ballot box you're going to remember what they have said about that but if you're talking about so many issues at a time, it's really hard to understand and grasp, and grasp what exactly it is that you're trying to get people to vote for. Um, and I think that that is something that Biden has been struggling a little bit with. And he's definitely taken a stand um, against racial injustices. That's something that he has pledged. Um, he has also pledged that he would put forth more rules and regulations regarding COVID and, and really crack down on getting the virus under control. Um, but besides those two points, it's been hard to understand what exactly he's going to do. Um, and that kind of brings me to another point. There's a strength in running as an incumbent president because you have an agenda already. Like Trump is still working on the border wall. So a lot of people that support Trump are going to vote for him because they want to see the completion of that wall. 
he has an agenda in terms of people have seen the economy be good before, so they have a hope that he will achieve that again. Whereas when they look at Biden, they look at the Obama administration and they see, well, he wasn't, Biden wasn't really involved in a bunch of stuff that had to do with the economy. So we don't know how he is going to affect that realm. Um, so people will have an expectation of Trump, but I don't necessarily think that they have that expectation of Biden yet, which has made it a little bit difficult for him to kind of dig his heels into the campaign trail. You know, I think that's, again, I mean, that's an interesting point you bring up because Biden, the biggest attack that I see that Trump has on Biden is he is the Trojan horse of this chaotic left-wing you know, just every man, woman, and child for themselves. You know, there's no rules. We're losing the family values of America. And, you know, they're going to come rushing in behind him. Um, and ultimately, do you think that Biden has done anything to kind of quiet those criticisms? Or do you think he really cares? I mean, do you think he's even shooting for Trump voters that, could kind of flip-flop between Trump and Biden? Or do you think he's just given up on them and said, look, I'm just going to try and get more minorities out to vote. I'm going to try and get more young people out to vote. That's how I'm going to win. Um, I do not think that Biden is working to convert Trump supporters because a lot of Trump supporters are very set in stone. That is not really a swayable voting block um, that they're looking at in this election. Um, there is 10%, around 10% of people that have not made up their minds. And that is the block that Biden is going after. That could be a mix of minorities. That could be a mix of young people, you know, people that aren't normally represented at the voting polls. I, that is one thing that Biden has, I think, has done pretty well at, um, is really a lot of his ads, a lot of his speeches have really encouraged people to get out and vote. Whereas you have not really seen that as much with Trump, right? We've seen backlash against mail-in voting. We've seen so much chaos around just the idea of voting in general. Um, I think there, Trump has a strength in not pushing people to vote because he knows that his supporters will vote no matter what, right? Because conservatives vote significantly more than Democrats do or people with Democratic views. But Biden really needs to mobilize his vote, the Democratic voting bloc, if he wants to win the election. That's something that Obama did so amazing back in 2008. Obama did that amazing. He, he mobilized a whole group of people that had never voted before. And that's why he won the election. So Biden is trying to tap into that as well. Um, but it, it's hard. I mean, with, I mean, you know how it is with the coronavirus. There's so much chaos going on right now mail-in ballots, we're not even sure. I mean, we hope that they're gonna work, right? But you never really know. Um, it's, it's a little messy, <laughs> I think, to say the least. Yeah, it's messy. And I think for people that are voting for the first time, it's a bit scary. Um, yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty about where's my ballot going? Is it going to be counted? Um, is this going to be a fraudulent election? I think People aren't really taking the intrusion into the previous election by foreign entities as seriously as they should be. Um, and uh, it's, it's very possible it could happen again this time. Um, ultimately, when you have two candidates that are pitted against each other on such different sides and you have foreign powers like Russia and China that are trying to play the opposite side, obviously China they don't want Trump another four years. Trump has put tariffs on China. Um, Russia, on the other hand, has, Trump has been their best friend. He's been the friendliest American president oh, yeah. to the Russian nation, maybe ever. Um, In a very long time, yeah. At least since the 19th century or the, uh, the Russian Revolution in the early 20th century. He's been the friendliest president to um, the Russian Federation by a mile. So now you have two foreign powers, foreign superpowers, really, if you want to count Russia as a superpower. Obviously, China is one of the biggest superpowers in the world that are kind of playing both sides of the street here. I mean, do you think that people aren't really taking it seriously enough that there's a possibility that there could be foreign intrusion in this election? Is that something you're worried about? 
you know what, it's always a threat, right? We can never rule it out. Um, but there's a lot that happens behind the scenes that we don't see. I'm sure that there are teams that are looking out for that. Um, and obviously, I mean, I don't know, I've never been a part of <laughs> excluding foreign powers. Um, I, I do, for some reason, I have a glimmer of hope in our, in our government that they are gonna count this equally and fairly. And I really, really hope that, like with the bottom of my heart. Um, but yeah, it's a worry. I, I think it's a worry for everyone. It's always concerning to think that bigger powers could be out there um, and, and maybe your, your vote wouldn't be counted. You know, that's horrifying, but I try to stay positive and hope for the best and just wish that it's gonna be fair. And then for people that are first time voting, Caitlin, that um, obviously you are very politically engaged, you understand what's going on, um, you do your research, everyone should do their research, but obviously you're qualified enough to speak on it. Um, what would you tell people that are voting for the first time, they're not really politically active? I mean, where should they start their process of getting educated enough to make you know really an educated vote in this november election well i know a lot of people have already sent in their mail-in ballots or early voting so um ruling those people out and for the people that have not voted yet i think it's really really critical something that i've even picked up especially during this election is not watching commentary on it not watching cnn commentary fox news commentary NBC commentary, ABC commentary, any of the big commentaries, just don't watch it because that's someone else's opinion. Um, if you really want to know about the candidates, listen to their speeches, listen to their debate skills, listen to what they say in public when it's not scripted. And that's how you should be able to figure out who you want to vote for, because that's really like how they're speaking. That's who you're going to be following or who you're going to be engaging with for the next four years. Um, so I think it's really important to derive your vote directly from the candidates and what they say themselves and not necessarily what media personalities are saying. I know that's hard as someone that is like looking to go into media, um, but there's a difference between news and commentary. And I think that it's hard now because people have been watching commentary for so long that they can't necessarily decipher news from commentary. They just really encourage that you try. So if someone asks you, hey, Caitlin, like, obviously, you know a lot about politics. Like, where should I go? What should I do um, to get educated? You would say watch the speeches of the candidates. Yes, absolutely. And that's because when they're speaking, you're kind of getting the whole message, but ultimately you're getting both the scripted and unscripted part because this is two unscripted candidates for the most part. Obviously Biden does his very best <laughs> on yeah. message, but he, he's very much kind of the democratic Donald Trump in the sense that he's always been a bit of a loose cannon in terms of what he's going to say and what he's going to do. And it seems to me like this third time around, he's been a lot more tame and on message. But then I look at Donald Trump and I go, he is absolutely leaned into the strategy of just, I'm going to say what I want, when I want, and the people that like it, like it, and the people that don't, don't, and, and we're going to beat them. Um, Very well for him. So it has worked. It you is. Know, it's uh, uh, honestly, it's amazing. I like can't even believe in a million years that that would have been a campaign strategy. But I know it'll be studied for years to come. It is ultimately like shattered our expectations of what you need to be in the public eye to get to the White House. Uh, Donald Trump essentially in 2016 went to every checkpoint that had previously been passed by a candidate in terms of you need to meet these requirements or you need to act like this, or when this situation comes, you need to handle it like this. He stepped on it and then he threw it in the garbage and then he ended up in the White House. So now, <laughs> so now that we're four years later, I mean, what are we, 
what is the right move? I mean, what, what should we expect over these next couple of weeks? Whew. Well, um, you know, there's, it's interesting, right? Because we would normally talk about an October surprise, but I think we've had enough surprises. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's one coming. Um, I'm not sure if that is COVID, right? I mean, we, we've had so much that has gone on to uh, mess with this, ele- not mess with this election, but interfere with following this campaign closely because there's just so much going on in the world and every time we blink something new is happening. Um, so I don't know if there's anything that could totally shock a whole block of voters from one side to the other. Um, but I think um, candidates are going to continue doing what they're doing. Trump is going to continue being his loose cannon self. Um, it works very well for him. It's very loved by his supporters. And Biden's probably going to continue trying to be a straight arrow in terms of the t- more typical, more traditional political candidate um, for presidential office. So um, I'm expecting more ads. <laughs> I'm expecting longer speeches um, and, and maybe a few more snarky remarks on Twitter. Um, but I'm ready. I'm excited. Do you think we've seen the last of presidential debates? Um, I don't know, right? Because there's supposed to be three. Um, and this Thursday's has been, was canceled. Um, Trump declined to do a virtual debate. Um, reasons are unknown, but for him, it was not something that he wanted to engage in. So they'll both be holding town halls separately. Biden will be on ABC and Trump will be on NBC, moderated by Savannah Guthrie. So um, it'll be interesting, right? Because it's going to be who's going to tune into what, right? Um, say if a voter tunes into Biden, then they're not going to hear what Trump has to say and vice versa. Um, so it's hard, especially when they're going to be airing right around the same time. I doubt that anyone would spend their whole night watching all of both unless you're super engaged in politics. Um, so again, it's going to be hard to really hear what each candidate has to say. Are you more interested in watching Trump's town hall or Biden's town hall? So I am setting up the TVs next to one another and turning both of them on because I refuse to miss either one. (laughs) That's the perfect way to go about it. It's to get both screens out, watch both. Exactly. Flip back and forth, mute one, mute the other. So when Biden was starting his campaign, he was the prohibitive favorite. Then he gets attacked from all sides in the primaries and looks like that meme of Mr. Krabs where the world is spinning around him <laughs> at times. And then has really one of the great political turnarounds starting in South Carolina to march his way back into the campaign and now he's the nominee and if we are to trust the polls on his way to the presidency at a certain point when biden looked like he was out and it was a wide open democratic race it could have been kamala harris it could have been bernie sanders it could have been a number of people did you think that the democrats had any chance of winning when like during the primaries before someone was chosen yes Honestly, no, I did not. Um, Just because back when the primaries were really taking place, that was before the pandemic got so horrible. That's when the economy was doing extremely well. Um, It's very rare for people, people vote with their pocketbooks. People look inside their pocketbooks, they see how they're doing financially, and oftentimes that's what deciphers their vote. So if if, if this election were to have been in January, I would have had no doubt in my mind that Trump would be our president again. Um, However, with COVID, with the economic downturn, um, there is more of a shot. Um, I think it's hard, okay, talking about Biden back in the primaries. I remember seeing him back then and thinking he was so weak in the primaries. Um, Just in terms of all the other people on the stage. I mean, if you're really listening to how they were discussing the issues, 
um, their different plans and their ideas for that. There were so many other people that I, <laughs> I think had a bit of a strong grasp. Um, but ultimately, Biden is the most known. And when you're going up against a presidential candidate like or the incumbent president, Donald Trump, who is probably safe to say the most famous person in America, you need someone that is equally as well known or is it's attainable to get to that level of knownness. And so looking at other, the other people that were up on this stage, right? Klobuchar, uh, Kamala, it's hard because they didn't have the name recognition that you need to run for president. Um, Biden was the only one on the stage that really had that shot. Um, and so I think that that's why the Democratic Party decided that he was the candidate um, that was right. And it seems to me like the Democratic Party has a lot more control over who the nominee is than the Republican Party. Oh, yeah. If anything was proven to me in the Republican primaries, the Republican Party has absolutely no control over who the candidate is and is going to be going forward because they had their candidate. His name was Jeb Bush, and he was going to take down Hillary Clinton, and it was going to be a, a Bush versus Clinton. I remember that, yeah. Famous families feud uh, going towards the White House, and Donald Trump comes in, storms over Jeb Bush, yeah. essentially just bullies him out of politics in general. And then you have Joe Biden. We agree. He didn't look good in the primaries. And now it's kind of, he's completely changed. He seems to have a lot more fight in him than he did in the primaries. He you know what he does? I think he's a bit more confident now, now that he has so many people backing him, especially, you know what I mean? It's harder in the primaries because that's all self-funded or funded by interest groups. Um, putting you up on that stage, having you speak about their issues. But once you get to the presidential candidate level, then you have a party backing. Um, so I think it would instill a bit of confidence in him. <laughs> I agree. Um, so I want, I want to transition, Caitlin. Um, I want to ask, how does someone get, I mean, obviously I can tell you for me how I got into politics as probably, I would say we're both at 20, probably into politics a little earlier than most. Um, more generations have come and gone in America. And obviously this generation that we are in is probably the most politically active at this age since the mid sixties. Um, but I would say for me, I got in because I started watching the daily show and Colbert Report in the early 2010s and that was more of a satirical way to kind of figure out who the players are in the system so kind of how did you find your way into an interest for politics yeah well i grew up so just to put to put it in perspective for you um my dad is very republican and my mom is very liberal so um, the two of them together is interesting combination of Fox News and CNN in the house at all times. Um, commentary on and all. So I got a really good understanding of what the political field looked like when I was very, very young. I mean, right, most kids grow up watching Nickelodeon, but I would be like watching Sean Hannity. So <laughs> that that's pretty descriptive of how I got into it. But then Coming into college, um, I picked up political science as a minor, um, and I am just in love with it. I think it's so interesting to study people who want to be in power. I don't know why, but there's something about that that's very interesting to me, like what motivates people to want to be in a position. I, I could never do it. I would freak out. <laughs> but, you know, there are certain people out there that just seem to be immune to um, half of the nation tearing them down and half of the nation building them up. And, and I love to study that um, because it's, it's a character study more than anything else. It really is. It's fascinating. It's really an introspective look on a certain type of person that not many of us have in our personalities. I mean, it takes a oh. very special type of person to not only seek 
such a powerful position. Um, most people are pretty happy in their nine to five jobs. They don't like public speaking. Um, if you were to take a poll in terms of people that enjoyed public speaking growing up, it would be, if you ask me, under 30% of people that enjoyed it. Did yeah, you- I, I heard it's like one of the most feared things. It, uh, there are people phobia. A genuine like fear of public speaking over anything else. They would rather have a spider crawl on their face than get up in front of 50 people. And, <laughs> and I think it's interesting. And that's the same thing for me. It, it becomes something where you're looking at these types of people that are all narcissists, no matter how good the president is or how bad the president is or how good of people they are. The one thing they have in common is they are all narcissistic people. They have sought out the most powerful position in the world. They desired after it and then they got it. And that takes a certain level of confidence that is probably outside the normal realm. And so it is interesting to me. Um, But ultimately I think for me, it was the, it was the interest in how the political pendulum swings back and forth and the way that the country is, because for me, I I have a big background in history. And I imagine for someone that has a minor in political science, AP US history was probably one of your favorite classes in high school. Very favorite one. Very favorite one. (laughs) Me too. I got a five on the test and I barely studied because it was just something that was interesting to me. Um, But ultimately, we're now in a position where I think when you have people that understand the weight of the historical moment we're in, that there hasn't been an election for, I would say, since, uh, you could say the election of Barack Obama was a pivotal moment for this country, but it didn't necessarily come in a pivotal moment. There was an economic downturn, but now you have the Supreme Court is up for grabs, the Senate's up for grabs, where this kind, where the nation is going is up for grabs. There's no real direction in this country anymore because everything was kind of following this formulaic plan of we're going to get a Republican president. We're going to get a Democratic president. Hillary's going to come in. She's going to kind of advance the Obama agenda. Politicians are going to keep bubbling on top of politicians. Now we have Donald Trump who's in the White House. He's the only person without military experience or political experience as a background I mean, how much has politics changed even in the last four years? This is something that we were actually studying um, in my political science capstone this semester. So um, it's going to be a complete shift in the political field from this point forward, right? We learned from Carter way back when the importance of sequencing. We learned from Bill Clinton how important it is to really appeal to a specific base of people. We've learned so many things from different presidents and and even Obama, he learned how to mobilize a group of people that had never been mobilized before. But now there's this focus on media. How does media play in? Because that's what Trump has done. That's how Trump won his presidency. He understands the media between him being a reality TV show star and having all these different interviews from his time when he was building buildings, right? He and understood how the media worked and he used that to his advantage in the campaign. Now that's something that every person that's running for candidate is going to need to understand in order to win. How do you use social media, how to use the media and how to appeal to a base, how to get people riled up around a group of issues. Um, You even said it yourself, he did a really good job of picking four things and nailing them in in every speech that he did um, back in 2016, and he's doing that again. Um, So I think that those are two very important notes that future candidates are going to write down and have in their back pocket is how to use the media, how to get their name out there, and what issues that they want to drill. Do you think that there will be a calming in this country politically if Biden wins? And do you think that's somewhat of a strategy that he's running on? If Biden wins, we're going to stop the, the chaos eventually? Or are we just going to always be like this? It's hard to tell. Um, 
I wish I had a better understanding of how it would go. Um, but I really see our country as being extremely divided right now. We have people on the extreme right and we have people on the extreme left. And these are unswayable people. It doesn't matter what you say, what statistic you bring up, that opinion of theirs is not swayable. Um, and honestly, I don't see it getting better. Even if Biden gets elected, there are going to be people that hate him, that hate his agenda, that hate his party. And if Trump is reelected, there are going to be the same people that hate him now will probably hate him more. And um, either way, we're coming up on a huge political divide in this country. Um, in my opinion, I, that's how I see it playing out. Um, but obviously, I mean, if Biden has a few tricks up his, up his sleeve for peace, um, I'm ready to see him. <laughs> I think there's been moments in this country where the country has looked lost and divided. I mean, this country's made it through depressions. It's made it through world wars. It's made it through a lot of political unrest. But the year 2020, and obviously since you are a student of history, I, I can make this comparison. To me, seems like the most chaotic year in this country since 1968. And when you think about 1968, you think about obviously the Martin Luther King assassination, the Bobby Kennedy assassination, the Vietnam War, ongoing civil rights and um, women's rights movements. And then you compare that to the year 2020. If you substitute the Vietnam War for the coronavirus, there's a lot of the same themes playing out in this year that played out in 1968. That obviously was an election year that was won by a Republican running on a sense of law and order. You have a president that is not necessarily running against law and order, but he has been the type of president to say, I'll accept the election results if I win. Uh, yeah. He's casted doubt over whether or not he will leave the White House if he loses. What do you see? I, I'm not even asking for an educated guess here. I, I just want to know what you think if Trump loses the election, what will happen in the coming months? I mean, there is just so much uncertainty in terms of if America can have a peaceful transition of power um, in, this, in, in this coming election. Yeah, I'll speak to that. Um, he could say that he can't leave the office, but we all know that that's not true. You cannot say you're president and stay sitting there when a country voted you voted for someone else to be president. So it might not be a pretty transition of power, but the transition will happen if he is voted out of office. Um, do I think that there would be a fight? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, um, but no president has ever defied being not reelected before. And I doubt that he would defy being reelected, even if he says that he would. It's an interesting proposition. <laughs> it's an interesting proposition. What do you think? Well, I mean, what I think is my, when I pictured Biden getting the nomination, I pictured at some point Biden and Trump uh, engaging in the first ever presidential debate fistfight um, <laughs> where Trump just said something and Biden went after him. And then we had a great moment that we could relive on YouTube forever. But in, in seriousness, it is just, it has become such a, just a food fight in politics. Um, and it's become, to me, it has become tiring. Um, and I think to a lot of people, it's become tiring. But it's also just become so interesting um, because it's just something we've never seen before. And I think when Trump had originally announced his campaign, I was extremely interested to see kind of how far he would take it um, and, uh, and where he would end up. I didn't think he would win. I don't think anybody thought he would win. Um, and I have to say, I was completely shocked when 
he did win. So I want to ask you to take us back to 2016 election night. What were you thinking of going into the night? What were your thoughts and kind of how did you expect that night to play out? Well, right. We talked about at the beginning of this uh, polling numbers um, and with Hillary Clinton being so far in the lead, I thought there is no way that this guy is going to be president, right? I mean, we were looking at someone that had been an actor at one point, that had been an entrepreneur at another point, had no experience in politics whatsoever. Um, and suddenly we were looking at him as a president. Now, something that Trump did have was a lot of promises that he made to his base and his supporters and people that voted for him. Um, and so I think that my hope was, oh, maybe he'll keep those promises. And obviously in 2016, I wasn't old enough to vote. Um, I was 16. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think I was confused but at the same time, hopeful, right? Because my thought process was, oh, all these adults voted for him. They must be seeing something that I'm not seeing. Um, and did he keep those promises? Well, that's kind of up for debate, right? Some people think he did, some people didn't think he didn't. I mean, the economy was doing really well for a long time, but now look where we are, we're not doing great at all. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of unrest in this country um, with him as president, so. I know some people think that he, you know, walks on water, um, but it's, it's difficult. I try, I always try and see it from both perspectives. I can see how the right views him. I'm like, oh, okay. I can see how the left views it and I can think, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So I, I have that balance where I see that, oh, there are some good things he's done, but I can also see that there are a lot of really, really bad things that he's done as well. What was that night like in 2016 in your house? If you have a conservative <laughs> dad and a liberal mom, what, what was that like? They won't go at each other, so <laughs> that's good. But, um, I mean, we had, I think that night they had Fox News on and they were watching it go down um, and uh, the celebration, <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, my little sister and I were just kind of hanging out, watching it, and we we're like, wow, that's shocking. We did not think that that was gonna happen. Um, my dad was very excited. Um, and, you know, I, I think my mom was okay with it at the time, um, and they've gotten to be a little bit closer in their views over time. So, um, so I think she was okay with it, but yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. I mean, I just remember being so in shock and like, texting all my friends like I'm so confused how did this happen I'm like he's our president like I remember watching him on The Apprentice <laughs> I, I had seen Donald Trump at uh, celebrity golf tournaments in Pebble Beach okay. I, I did not expect it still has not even to this day that we are three weeks away from the election tonight um that I still can't say President Trump and just believe it. Right. Uh, that he is one of the 45, and those names include George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt. Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump, right? Like, that just, it just sounds wrong. Um, and, uh, but the truth is, is that he is one of 45. Um, I do want to ask... Um, it, about the 2016 election, what do you think was the learning experience for the Democrats that that night? Don't underestimate Donald Trump. I think that's a big one. I, I, I think that they have understood, especially over the past four years, that he and him and his supporters cannot be underestimated in a sense. Um, I think that they understood for the first time the power of social media, the power of Twitter. Um, they saw, I mean, we talked about this earlier as well. They saw for the first time a loose cannon on the debate stage. Um, and that's really not something that we've seen to that extent before. I mean, we had a 
President Trump back in 2016, before he was president, had said about Megyn Kelly's moderating performance that he thought she was on her period. I mean, we had never seen that kind of thing before in our lives. Um, and on such a huge scale, I mean, this was someone that was, that is leading our country. Um, and I think that there is an understanding now that no matter what he says, there are people that would back him. I actually saw a really funny video. I can't remember what reporter it was, but he went around asking people, what's the worst thing that Trump could do to make you not vote for him? And he like offered a bunch of different questions. And she's like, I don't know, he could do anything. He's like, what if he killed someone? She's like, I'd still vote for him. I was like, wow, that is a love. Like I have never seen it in my life. And for a politician, no less. <laughs> when you run through the list of stuff that Donald Trump has said and done, and you compare it to things that have derailed other campaigns, I think of there's the moment in the 92 campaign where there's the seminal moment between Clinton and Bush, where someone asks George H.W. Bush a question about the economy, and he doesn't really understand the question. And he checks his watch and it seems like gives off the vibe that he doesn't want to be there and that he's kind of above the whole thing of talking to regular Americans. And Clinton takes the microphone, stands right across from her and says, I know people that have lost their jobs. You know, I come from a small state and that is seen as the moment that Bush loses the election. And oh, he, said, he says no new taxes and that's the moment that he loses the election. You can go for every single candidate that is lost. I mean, for McCain, the second he said, yeah, Sarah Palin, that's my vice president. You know, that was the moment where he essentially just threw it away. Um, for Trump, it's, it's become this thing where, you know, it was either the, the Megyn Kelly comments, the John McCain comments. It was like every week there was a comment where you were just so shocked and now we've almost gotten to the point where we're just so desensitized to it. I wonder if when another president gets in, is the same standard going to apply that Trump was under? Or are we going to go back to, you know, we ridicule Obama for a tan suit, you know? Um, you know, if Biden gets elected, I do think that it will go back to the traditional way of um I th is it fair to say more respectful? <laughs> It'll go back to the more respectful ways of uh, politicians, at least in the public eye. But I do believe that if Trump gets reelected, that is really going to send a signal to the Democratic Party and even to the Republican Party that that is the new way of being a leader. That's how you get people's attention. That's how you get their, your name in their brains, right? right. I mean, when we, when we were talking about people being in like being exposed with their campaigns and that's something that biden's struggling a little bit with is just to have people remember their remember his name people hear trump's name on a daily basis so when they go to the poll booth and they see joe biden donald trump they're gonna probably hit donald trump if they've heard his name a lot and they've agreed with a few things that he said um so i don't know i think just putting himself in the spotlight so frequently um, uh, like you said, it's desensitized a lot of people to, to kind of the hurtful comments that he has said. Um, but I think it has the power to change how elections are run in the future, especially if he gets reelected again. So you're really politically involved. You grew up in a household that was politically involved. You know, a lot of kids are watching Nickelodeon. You're watching Sean Hannity. So yep. <laughs> at what point were you thinking, okay, uh, journalism is what I want to do. And then I imagine you had just a bucket of colleges you could have gone to. So then why, why Arizona State? Yeah, I was, um, I was involved in uh, my, my high school had a television program called uh, GTV. And I did that ever since from when I was a freshman until I was a senior. And I like loved it so much. It was broadcast TV, we would make packages and do all that fun stuff. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to go into journalism from freshman year because I love videography and um, just talking in general. But <laughs> um, uh, besides the point, um, I really, really wanted to go to Syracuse. I actually um, 
almost I, I really applied to Syracuse, USC, um, Ohio, and ASU. I just applied to four schools. Um, and I had good enough grades that I really could have gone anywhere, but I was so focused on going to Syracuse um, that I just literally sent it all and was like, okay, that's where I'm going. So I'm not really going to apply anywhere else. Um, And I didn't get in and it was very sad. Um, And so I have an aunt that lives down here in Arizona. And so we came out to visit her Um, And I toured ASU and I wasn't crazy excited about it, but I thought that the facilities were nice. And I liked uh, that as a freshman, you were able to really get involved right away. Um, So I just said, we'll try it out. And after freshman year, I'll transfer to Syracuse. But then (laughs) halfway through freshman year, um, I made a lot of really good friends, uh, got really involved in Cronkite and decided that I would stay. So Syracuse now it's it's out. That's is that a bygone dream or do you still want to eventually try it? Oh no! I'm the way that I look at it now is Syracuse is lost. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm sorry. I was thinking about grad school for a little bit there, but I'd rather just get my degree from Cronkite. So. And that is is that ultimately because you want to be in New York? On the um. East Coast? I do want to be on the East Coast after school. That's I'm going to just apply all over the East Coast. Um, New York right away, no. I'd rather start, um, not super small, but a little bit smaller to build up my skills. But then hopefully one day, obviously every journalist's dream is to go to New York or LA. So um, that would be great. But no, um, Syracuse's thing was more so that I just... Um, I just loved the campus. I loved the snow. I loved being at that campus. I met a lot of really cool people when I visited and toured there. Um, and I thought their program was amazing, but I think ASU's is better now. So, <laughs> Hey, you heard it. Cronkite is, Cronkite's the best. It's the Harvard of the West, as we say. It is the Harvard of the West. Anyone that says anything else is wrong. No, they're completely wrong or they go to Harvard. Um, Plus, if I went to Syracuse, we wouldn't be number one in innovation. Or I guess you guys would be, but I wouldn't be involved in it. Cause you, I, couldn't, you couldn't pass I, it. I wouldn't have been able to say that my school was number one in innovation. Yeah, I don't know what Syracuse is. 50, 60, but they're not yeah, number way one. down on the list. There's only one top spot in innovation. And that's a lot and of ASU. Arizona State. <laughs> so you mentioned Savannah Guthrie. So I want to ask, who do you kind of, A, model yourself after, but who are kind of your idols in the journalism realm uh, that you really look up to have you ever heard of boyd hubert that is wow that is an obscure one i have never heard of that he is okay so first i would just like to start off by saying that i really want to go into videography okay so um he is if you get an opportunity to look him up I so encourage you to do so because not only will he bring tears to your eyes, but he will just make you feel so empowered as a journalist. Um, He works at CARE 11 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I have never lived in Minneapolis, but from cruising the internet several times and watching his work, I fell in love with him and his stories. Um, He just really knows how to draw emotion out of people. he knows how to have conversations and not only be sympathetic, but empathetic with his sources. And I really admire that about him. He also, um, working with his videographer, they tell the most beautiful stories. So I've always really, really appreciated him in that sense. Um, in Chicago, I'm a big fan of Natalie Martinez. She does a really good job. Um, she's at NBC5. And then, of course, Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show. Um, she's amazing as well, and I've always um, looked at her and loved her work. So I'm really excited to see her moderate the debate on Thursday. Where do you want to end up? Do you want to end up on today, today Show, Nightly News, somewhere like that, or? I am a morning person, so okay. I will. I I don't want to say never, but um, my goal is morning news. Um, okay. Yeah, absolutely, morning, morning, morning. Just because I like to smile, and at night it's very stern, very strict. Um, not quite as much smiling and giggling going on. So (laughs) 
I want to be able to talk and joke with people and um, I guess kind of like wake up with people in the morning. I think that that's very cool, but um, I don't know. I'm trying to do something in the Carolinas after school or um, around that area because my parents um, are moving down there. So I want to follow them and, and be at least close enough that I can drive and say hi. Carolinas are gorgeous. Yeah. Have you been, have you been in Carolinas? Oh, yeah. We go every single year in the summer. Every single year. And I'm assuming Outer Banks, Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head. We have done those in the past, but our family's favorite spot um, is Wilmington. Okay. So if you've ever watched the show One Tree Hill, the town that that was filmed in, and that's where my parents bought, or or I guess they just bought their new house there. So, um, but we... Um, we love it there. Like it is so amazing. It's so beautiful. The town is, is so fun, um, and it's right by beach. So, yeah, I really like you really it. Cannot, you really cannot beat that, can you? You really can't beat the Carolinas, except for you know hurricane season. But exactly. I mean, better than snow. <laughs> so where I I actually haven't asked this, and I can't believe I haven't asked this. But where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Geneva, Illinois. Um, I used to say Chicago, but then I got a lot of backlash because it's uh, about an hour and a half from Chicago. (laughs) No, so yeah, I live in a suburb um, and it was nice. You know, it was cold, um, but I moved there in seventh grade. And then before that, I lived in Danville, California. No way. Outside of San Francisco. Sure. Yeah. So so that is is interesting because when you think about political socialization, you think about the impact that not only your family has, but where you grow up has on your political beliefs. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you go from most blue part of the country. I I can attest I'm from San Jose. Um, Oh yeah. Nice. Neighbor. Born and raised in the Bay area. Um, And uh, then you move to Illinois. There's a, a lot more Republicans. Not that Illinois is a red state by any stretch of the imagination, but it's far more red than California, right? Hey, Chicago's blue, but you can pretty much assume that every other county is red. I mean, I live by the corn, so yes. Live by the corn. <laughs> I love that. I live by the corn. So coming down to the end, and we're three weeks away from election night, the biggest election of our lifetime as we establish it, and really one of the biggest elections that this country has seen. What is your prediction for November 3rd? What is going to happen? I don't think that we will get our results on November 3rd or November 4th. Um, Considering the events of 2020, I would be shocked if we got our results by November 8th or 9th, honestly. Um, Because I think that between mail-in ballots and and everything else and all the complications of voting this year, um, I think it's going to be a lot more delayed than people are anticipating. Um, Who do I think will win? Um, It's hard. Um, But I, I, I do think that Trump will pull through. He has this silent majority, and I, I just think that they're going to show up like they did last year. And, you know, even I, I hate to be this person that brings up, you know, different various groups, but um, even in the midst of coronavirus, you've seen groups like QAnon grow so extremely. Um, they have so many more members now and such a bigger following. And, and that just shows how divided we've gotten. Um, but I don't know, obviously. I mean, there's always hope for Biden. Um, but it is hard because it, this is really representative of last year's polling numbers um, with Hillary and Trump. So I don't know. It, it's hard. He pulled it through last year. So um, I do think he might pull it through again. So I am being a fool for believing that the nine point gap that Biden has today really means anything because Trump has in your estimation, 10 points of asylum majority in terms of 
the percentage numbers? Likely. It was close to the same number four years ago. Um, so obviously we don't necessarily know, right? Because a poll is just a poll. That doesn't mean that those people have voted. Those people have not voted. Um, and um, the truth behind Trump is that he has so many silent voters, so many silent voters, um, so many silent supporters. Um, not everyone that you see at a Trump rally, that's not all of his supporters, just like not everyone you see at a Biden rally is all of his supporters. I mean, I do think that minorities will show out for Biden this year. I do think that young people will show out for Biden this year. Um, but it's hard, especially if Trump is working so hard to mobilize and to campaign um, in these swing states. Um, it's it's going to be tough. You know, I don't know if, if Trump will for sure win. And I will look back at this podcast if Biden wins and be like, girl, you, you did not know what you were talking about. But it's hard for me to believe um, that someone with as big of a name as Trump and as big of a fan party as he has um, wouldn't pull that off again.